So, um, hello. When we last, uh, hi. When we last left off, um, it's been a while, guys. Good been ages, been ages. I like um, your haircut, Tom. Oh, thanks. I just did it. I thought it was really in the nice, fifteen yeah. seconds. In the fifteen seconds. <laughs> Anybody who is listening, um, we record our <laughs> podcast. Um, the first episode we recorded in one evening, so that's why it's extra long. Everything else since then is two sessions, two episodes per evening. So between them, sometimes it's fifteen seconds, sometimes it's two weeks. So uh, seamless, more than absolutely seconds. seamless, completely seamless. <laughs> Things important <laughs> to say. Since no, I'm no, I'm no, I'm I'm keeping it in. I enjoy it. I think shenanigans are fun, um, especially mm-hmm. since we are at the point of the mystery where we have finished it um and so coming away uh, last we found the agents of uh thorn investigations they had uh successfully sent the spirit of marcus elliott uh back in time to spend um whatever time it had left in this existence with the family that he had lost um you talked with lieutenant cook who demanded to know more about the world that you all came from before relinquishing that need uh knowing that he wouldn't be able to protect those that he loved uh, if he wasn't able to tell them as well from where you are now the morning is here is solidly into the next day uh, jumping forward a few hours you are uh, preparing to to get going uh, you have your lorry you have your car you know that the people at Thorn Investigations will want to know what has happened. They'll want to know the full extent of this because each one of you knows, even if um, you're not saying it to each other, this is the most... There hasn't been anything that's happened like this with Thorn Investigations since any of you have been working there. Um, small occurrences, hoaxes, and things which can be naturally explained away. Nothing as violent as this, nothing as devastating as this could have been. Could I just, um, what yeah. happened to the music box? So the music box is left off. Um, were, I mean, Pisa still has it. Um, I haven't yeah. given that up. Sorry, that's gone okay. into my bag. That, that, okay. that, that, that's come with us. Lovely. I presume the soldiers put the barn out. Yeah, the fire in the barn was put out. Yeah, so during the fight in the barn where soldiers were taking over, there was a fire, but they did put it out towards the end of the fight. Lieutenant Cook does greet you in the morning as you go, but he very quickly takes his men and goes back to whatever base they were at, um, taking the bodies of those who perished in the fight and and before the fight with them. Um... And as we get going, as we think about what's happening next, um, so one of the big parts of the um, after the mystery section of Nostra of the Week, um, there's a part that says getting ready for next time, which sort of thinking about what has happened in the game and preparing for that. But I'm really interested in the looking ahead section of it. 
um, for any, there's lots of points in that which are very interesting. I think it'll be worth discussing as we're going back. And if there's any sort of points that can be played out in the scene, we can do that. Um, if there's anything that we just want to discuss quickly, that we can do that as well. So, uh, looking ahead, now think about events from the story that suggest there's something bigger going on in the shadows. This is potential. There's some things that might have come up in the mystery so far um, that could hint to things, but also um, there are some points here. So the sort of things that might come up include Hunter's history choices that might in indicate something else going on, events during the mystery that hint at bigger troubles happening somewhere else, unfinished business from the mystery, Hunter choices that had, have a wide reach, things that came up in the play that suggest something more Examples include the results of an expert start past move. Um, so is there anything from any of that that any of you would like to discuss at this point? Yes. I think she, she, she alluded a bit when she was um, kind of reverse interviewing Mr. Cook at the end of the mystery. But Evangeline was very curious to understand what woke this thing up. And if it was the fact that there was so many more presents for it to feed on, was there a serendipitous occurrence that allowed that those people to be in that location? Mm. She is aware of other organizations, not just our own, and maybe believes that there may be somebody out there looking at things or playing with things well beyond the purview of anything we've discovered so far. This obviously being a, her first outing, but nothing she's probably found in the archives of her times. Um, I would I mean, you know there are other government agencies. It's always been always been somebody working for a government that is sort of tasked with things that don't make sense. And so I would say probably, Evangeline, if anyone else has anything else, I'd say you know that Vera dealt with things like this in the war. Um, and you know that you also dealt with things like this in the war eventually. So um, you know that there are people in the world that it is their job to go out on missions that, and find things out about the strange things in the world that cannot be explained. Um, and they don't all work with their investigations. And then, and there's an interesting comment one of the soldiers made. One of the soldiers was very um, proficient, as Vera is, with radios and radio signals, and potentially someone of that caliber could have created something, woke it up, or something they're connected to. And you know, how much she is, there is a lot of serendipity in the kinds of people and what was happening there that makes her feel a little bit uneasy and as we as she goes through and she looks through her archives back and there she will be looking for that has a bit of a thread but very loosely very kind of you know sunday times crossword style speaking of that i definitely want to have taken down a list of the names of all of the soldiers and just be bearing them in mind as we move forward absolutely um i will let you know their names just now so um, you had Captain Bennett. Um, so it's Captain Philip Bennett, deceased. Uh, you had Lieutenant Alastair Cook. You had Sergeant John McCormack. Was he alive? He is alive. So Sergeant John McCormack was the one that got his nose broken. Um, Private Ralph Byrne. 
was the one that got stabbed in the leg. You had Private Donald Morris. I believe he was the one. He was the one that had the gun at the end of the fight. And Private Simon Hall. Was he uh, the one who shot me? Donald Morris is the one that shot me. Yeah, I'll be writing that. I'm only writing that one down. <laughs> um, and Simon Hall was the one that had the knife that had been um, that eventually killed during the com during the fight. Simon Hall. I think I know a Simon Hall. You don't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, is there anything anyone else wants to bring up or potential mystery threads that you want to bring to the light? I just on the back of what um, Evangeline's thinking is that um, Laura had only been having the dreams, despite having lived there for longer, only for the last few months. Just put a timeline on it. That's what I wrote down in my notes. Did we... So Marcus had been dead for a fair two time, years. hadn't he? Yeah. 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 So Marcus had been dead in a few years. I'm sorry if I... I think I said a couple of months. I think he months. did, but... No, no, it's... Uh, um, so, yeah, he, he has been dead for years. You would have yeah. seen that. He's uh, decomposed under the ground. Um, the dreams have been going on for a couple of months. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't coincide with the soldiers arriving. Had they just arrived when we arrived, or they, um, they had? You could have picked up that they were probably there just for a couple of days before you got there. Okay. So it didn't coincide with them arriving there. No. Yeah, but something woke him up. Something, something started the connections. And then, did we? Did were things exacerbated by our presence? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think we we really yeah. riled the I situation like up. No, I think we exacerbated. No, but I also think like a like like a like a psychic virus. There were more things to connect to, more emotions to charge the environment and everything else. And in fact, I think her question of where they sent there for a reason. Mm. You know, these young, fresh-faced, disposable soldiers. That's her, yeah. her line of thought. But we'd been there about 20 minutes when um, <laughs> Evangeline connected directly to the malevolent spirit, um, letting it uh, know that she was a powerful magic user. And, yes. Although a, a very level-headed woman. I'll clone the house. Here we go. I mean, I do have to say, she was very level-headed and she said, well, I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll just have a little look-see. Oops, maybe not. This creature is a lot more powerful than Frank was. It does okay. feel like we were particularly vulnerable as a group to this sort of uh, well, I think Peter thinks all influence. of you are quite vulnerable to this influence. Peter definitely wasn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Peter's no. not at all vulnerable to anger-based Spirits. No, he, he, he wasn't whatsoever. Well, neither was Tempter. That seems to seem like Evangeline was the most, the most <laughs> exactly deserved and prim and proper of us all. Secretly raging inside her pristine skin. So, um, I don't know how much of, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it up to you how much of your discussions are in character, how much of that is said before you leave, how much is said on the road, the little tidbits that you've 
to, to ask about wouldn't have been hard to find out so I'm not going to make you roll for any of that right? I think uh, Tabitha and Evangeline would probably talk about it quite a lot we don't have anything else in common to talk about so um, well, there's, there's no need to read about wave frequencies yeah or swimming um, <laughs> <laughs> so we discuss it at length Beats would be quiet on the drive, but he'll use the opportunity to test his knowledge of how unusual it was that Thorn investigations hadn't come up against something like this before, and Vera's knowledge of that. And kind of are we certain there are other groups in this country that did it? Why are the government was sending military people and understanding or being reminded that the military were only there for a few days? So there's a there's a distrust that he's almost having to check himself because he's almost distrusting the situation or what he's being told. But I'd also imagine by the time they get back, that cool, calm collectiveness, he'll probably be back on the page by the time he gets back. It's, it's a long drive. Yeah, it's a very long drive back. There. You have plenty of time to think and to decompress after the the trauma, the Pollock trauma of Knock Hill Farm. Um, your clothes bloodied, your body's aching, probably, um, just from having a night where you are doing stuff and being active and putting yourself through a lot of pain constantly without going to sleep. But you eventually find yourselves back in Edinburgh, driving through the familiar streets. You pull up outside the outside of investigations um, where a few few of the sort of the um, the people who work there take over from Vera and the lorry take over from um, Evangeline in the car they're going to take the vehicles back around to the yard and do any sort of maintenance any repairs fill them back up make sure they're ready as they can be for whenever you need them and um, is there anything that anyone does when you get back to to investigations? I would remind everyone, please, that I would require your report within 24 hours of our return to Thorn Investigations for archival approval and editing. Of course. Is there a doctor? Yeah. Yeah, you have a doctor. He's just going to the doctor because he's not unstable yet, but about to be. So yeah. he's just going to get, get wrapped up and he just wants to lie down and take some 1950s headache medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, grievous bodily harm does not proclivate one from not having to write their reports, please. 24 hours. I whispered to Peter, I'll write yours for you as well. You I went to university to have that I can write a report. You are very injured. I know you can um, write. No, I like it because I like how writing three languages makes it really hard for us for translation and working it out. Okay, do you want to Tabitha, do mine then? Yeah, Tabitha, you, you were Sorry. shot, weren't you? Are you all right? I'm fine. I mean, you as you as well, Peter. No, that's why I'm trying to... I mean, it's nice talking about reports. I need to be bandaged up and he lifts back his shirt and his back is bruised Yay. to hell from where he was thrown against the wall. He's like... Really need to rest, and I'm happy to talk in the morning and stuff. But I just, I, I need, I need something to this headache. Or I need, I think, I think I've cracked a rib or two. 
Um, yeah. No, you don't need to heal me. I've got enough memories of the healing. Thank you. It's more of a, um, you know, in the moment option. You can go and see oh, the doctor. It's not better than I a agree. doctor, is it? I, it? Look, if we do this again, basic medical training rather than magic feels like a, I mean, I feel like we should all go on a, like a first aid Saint course John's. or some like basic field medicine, which I'm surprised none of us can do. Might well, I've, n- I've never been in the field. Well, yeah, and I didn't, well, it's not something I needed to learn in the war. Yes, no, I was, I was not one for um, medical aid um, in my travels. I was more de- demolition. Well, if um, I can look at getting a some sort of infirmary set up in the in the truck in the van, um, I, I probably won't be able to get that set up straight away. But we can start looking at acquiring some of that space. Bandage, red scissors, and some and some adrenaline and some morphine sounds like a a shortcut. And in the meantime, I'm sure full investigations can stretch the budget to that. Uh, well. Funnily enough, they were on my purchase list that I gave to um, uh, uh, our patron uh, before we left. Uh, unfortunately, we, we weren't fully stocked uh, in that regard. Um, I will ensure that we have some slightly more appropriate equipment. I don't think any of us were really expecting to be quite this badly hurt. Are we having this conversation on the streets? Just one yeah, we check. Hundred percent. No, as, as we're walking in, walking in. Oh, imagine the we're in the main yeah. foyer as we're about to split up and about to go to archives and pizzas. Uh, so you go to so Peter, you go to the infirmary. Uh, the doctor that works at some investigations is called. Uh, he doesn't work all the time, um, and doesn't work every day. Um, so, but luckily he is in on the day you come in. <laughs> um, his name is Brian Doherty, uh, and. He starts to mend you up. He is shocked when you come in, um, but he bandages you up as as well as he can. Um, he he was a uh, in in the army. He's sort of a medic from the army, so he's got lots of field training. But he is um, so he's not squeamish. He just is shocked when you come in um, with the sheer amount of injuries that you have. Um, Peter will tell him that Tabitha's walking around out there with a gunshot wound as well and that she hasn't come here and someone needs to find her it was a glancing hit i'm going to suffer in silence and so peter you are being tended to in the infirmary and um we'll come back to peter in a little bit is there anything else anyone does um i now, correct me if I'm wrong. I imagine that Annabelle maybe has some like a personal collection of um, books about weird, spooky shit. Yes, she does. I know Evangeline's going to be in the archive in the library, so I'm going to bypass that and I hope that Annabelle is in her office, <laughs> not next to her books. And I'd like to do some research, um, okay. personal into what into the kind of uh, malevolent spirit possession stuff um can i please have a and that's an investigator mystery oh yeah um 11 okay so with an 11 you hold two of the questions so you can ask what happened here what sort of creatures these aren't going to all be appropriate for the mm-hmm. situation here in the moment uh what can it do what can hurt it where did it go sure. what was it going to do or what is being concealed here um 
would I be able to like on the basis of a what happened here um be able to look for any other instances of similar possession absolutely I mean I will say um you look back in the books that Annabelle has and there are a, few, a good few books on this sort of thing and they, they you know ghost stories and this sort of thing it's interwoven throughout all of it. so that's the most common um paranormal experience people have is seeing ghosts and experience mm. spirits um it's it's really odd the ones that you that are more recent um that have been sort of collected by thorn investigations and 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 texts and volumes um have also been proven to be hoaxes most of the time uh I, the, the vast majority of them are proven to be hoaxes and those that haven't been proven to be hoaxes um, the stories sort of dwindle as people lose interest in them because they probably aren't true. Uh, they haven't been proven not to be true. Um, in the past, in the far flung past, you like in the eighteen hundreds sort of time, uh, early eighteen hundreds. Uh, there's a lot of stories of this of the sort of thing that you came up against. Um, People being possessed by spirits, angry spirits, things like poltergeists, um, making sort of uh, making a very sort of aggressive moves towards humans. But then after a while, um, a lot of these things were dealt with. Um, so there are there are records of these things being dealt with, not from thorn investigations that hadn't been set up at that point, but old records of old sort of um paranormal hunters the sort of the texts that they wrote um all these things being dealt with so eventually there weren't really that many anymore and those that were could be avoided or um sort of dwindled on their own so in the past there seems to be a lot of this but then it died out in the same way as you look back a lot of things of this nature died out paranormal things in the past in the early 1800s were very prevalent lots of people seem to be connecting with things a lot of the time mm. um and not just spirits but you see things to do with demons you see reports about angels and feature fey creatures and um undead beings and strange creatures from other realms and uh, great big monsters under the sea, um, all-knowing creatures, and you read about this, and you study all of this, but you also it, it all starts to die out. But then, this has happened to you, and you know mm. that this is not something that anyone's really dealt with before, um, or at least in a very long time. As you're looking through these books, um, you and you're sort of deeply immersed in this investigation. Is there anything else you have a second hold with your 11? Um, I, uh, so just on the basis of like uh, poltergeists and malevolent spirits, would they all, um, uh, you saying what was it going to do? They all kind of acting in the same way as Marcus Elliot was kind of uh, acting out in a strong emotional um tie they had to this the, world or it's strong motion is definitely the tie that most sort of anything that 
you read about uh, any sort of like these malevolent spirits that have bad intentions towards the world and that all come, usually comes from a strong emotion and it might come from a positive emotion um it wouldn't only come from something like happiness um but even things like love and hope can be twisted if they are left with something obsession. for long enough it becomes an obsession exactly um but yeah so everything has as i said like a keystone of like moment that creates this feeling that permeates through a ghost and if something is dealt with quickly then it's not a problem but if something is left to simmer then the feeling can become deeply troubling um, and that's what you you read about that with spirits and that's something which is throughout the history of them in the past um, as you're reading this you hear a voice um, i hide <laughs> you hide uh your aunt has been there for probably about 10 well, seconds then she sees me like you. try and stand behind the can <laughs> yeah that's fine uh she walks over to you with this is the curtain away oh hello she how obvious is it that tabitha is badly injured not very obvious i would think that she's wearing all black number one and uh, she probably looks even more pale and drawn like she hasn't been outside still even though she has now um i would think that she would have put some kind of bandage on it yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, everyone's getting healed up, so you. Yeah, like well, but she probably is standing funny and does look even more kind of anemic than normal. Does uh, Tabitha want Annabelle to think that she's fine? Yeah, because she's a competent agent. Then I'd like you to roll minute play minute play. Okay, well, that's not good. Oh. Come on. Okay, uh, five. <laughs> She looks you up and down, and for a moment you think she is going to be a, more angry than she's ever been. She looks, she's sort of like tense as you see her, she starts to grind her teeth, you see her mouth become very, very tight. Um, she sighs and she sort of puts her hands on your head and puts them on your shoulder. She sort of sighs and she... She pulls you in for a hug. That's uh, a very surprising experience. She holds you for a couple of seconds and then steps back, hands on your shoulders, and says, Have you been to the infirmary yet? No, I just had a few things. Right, to okay. Do. And she starts pulling you <laughs> She takes I you just, by the uh, arm. She takes you by the arm. Um, and she leads you there, probably just as Brian's dealing with peter um and she says brian another one for you and she sits you down on the chair and uh she looks down and she says once you're feeling better i'd like to have a word i'd like to talk to you okay yep i'll come find you after you heal you're bandaged up and you make your way back to where you met her. She actually meets you halfway. Um, 
goes, oh, that's sad. And she brings you back into her office and sits you down. And, uh, she just, she doesn't act like she is very, very sort of squishy and concerned because that's not who she is. You don't expect that. And that's not what she gives you. Yeah, the hug was shocking enough. That was as much as she was going to give you. You got a sense of that. What she does do is talk you, essentially get your report from you by talking you through every part of it. Um, really try and minimise um, anything that maybe I did bad um, and then maximise all the damage that Evangeline caused. Just like really emphasise that. Can I have a plus charm? <laughs> Just like roll me a plus charm to see if you effectively do that. Okay, eight. Eight, okay, yeah. Uh, she, She's listening to you, and what you get from this more than anything else is she is trying to show you respect by listening to you and getting this report from you and not assuming that you wouldn't tell her the truth. Um, if, if I kind of sense that halfway through, I will kind of taper into yeah, being she, a little bit more She sort of gets that you're lying a little bit. Yeah, you, pro you probably said sometimes Evangeline really, she really fucked it up. Um, then Evangeline bloody, <laughs> we went in and it was fine. Then she cocked it up. Um, so she, Everything was going fine until <laughs> So she, she, you got the vibe, you probably guess that you weren't being fully honest. She wasn't going to be angry with you for that, but she sort of got the vibe maybe weren't telling the full truth um not that she knew exactly what went on but that she wasn't she think maybe you're elevating things a little bit um but she is she listens to you and when the when you finished talking she she says thank you um i uh will be dinner will be served uh, normal time and uh, I expect to see you there of course I haven't eaten in ages if you want to read any of my books you can just remember where you got them and put them back I always put everything back Snyder's Return is a tabletop roleplay interview and actual play podcast. We chat with content creators from both mainstream and indie publishers, and we release actual play episodes of systems like our City of Mist game, Meddlers, Monsters and Mabin, and more games coming in the future. We also have a TTRPG review show on YouTube, Fly Like a D6. Come and check us out. You can find us on Twitter at Return Snyder, Instagram, Snyder's underscore return. You can find us on YouTube at Snyder's Return, Discord, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. This is Danny, the keeper for the Thorn Files podcast. Just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to our first few episodes so far. It's been a lot of fun to make, and we can't wait to make more of it for you all. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, why don't you give us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen. It really helps us out. Thank you. Now, back to the mystery. 
Peter and Evangeline. I want to know what happens to both of you. And so, Peter, after you have been at the infirmary, is there anything that Peter does specifically? Um, no. He really very much wants to be off the clock. He wants to go for a run and he wants to feel free and not tied to this place or sitting in a confined cab or anything else. So he'll be looking for downtime at the earliest opportunity to kind of get away. The first chance you get to leave, you have a moment where you are you walk towards the main door, you get you kind of walk down the stairs. So it's probably still aching all over. You can't bandage a bruise and necessarily make it feel better straight away. Um you are stopped before you leave by Albert. He sort of sees you walking out the door. And he's uh, oh, uh Peter, Peter. Um and he gets the vibe from you that you want to leave. And he comes over to you to the door and it's still sort of early evening by the time you are there. It's not as late as you were. You got to the West Midlands because you left much earlier in the day uh, to get back. And he just sort of comes up to you and says, how are you? Um, not good. Um, I'll be sleeping here tonight. Very well. well uh, if you are available this evening, I have an assignment that I'd like to give to you, if that's possible. I, I have to warn you, it is potentially dangerous, but something I think you're probably up to. Um, that would be good. Do I have time for a few, just for a bit of a run? No, you have as much time as you need. I'll be, uh, I, I'll be here this evening until... I'm ready to go from this assignment as well. So you do what you need to do, and I'll be here. I'm look, and he kind of points down at would be in little short shorts. Um, and it'll just be like, I'm just gonna look, I just want to go get my head clear and um I'll grab my bite to eat when I get back. Of course. Don't eat too much, the assignments. Uh well, I'll explain things later. Well, I'll just, I'll just go. I need to, I need to get my head clear. That was, you'll see it in the reports. That wasn't, that wasn't meant to be like that. Peter, I can see it in your face. I don't need to read it in a report. I just need to run. I'll, yeah, I'll see you later. And um, leaves it at that. Yeah. Turns and heads off in a jog towards the coast, or towards the harbour. The coast. Um, it'll run for about three k. And does he come back to? Oh yeah, um, he does a round trip. Um, he won't be sleeping. There's no way on earth he can sleep that much in this night. So he, he come back to the um, the thorn investigation. So it's getting into, uh, but but so you know it's getting into the evening time. Edinburgh is waking up um, in the evening, and the nightlife in Edinburgh can be very exciting and. There's lots of bars and pubs and places to have a good time at Edinburgh. Um, and you come back to the start of this. Um, and as you get back, you get yourself 
you have your shower, you get yourself out of your running gear. Um, Albert Sarius is there, take your time, get yourself ready. Um, and you get yourself ready, you when whatever clothes Peter would throw on after a run. Um, and Albert is waiting for you for you. He's got a sort of a big coat on, a hat and a scarf. Um, and he says, are you ready? Yes. Do I need to bring a weapon? Uh, it's always safe to have something, Peter. Good. And he'll show the tight bulge on the back of the pants from where he does have, um, I think it's a nine millimeter. Um, then let us go. And he leads you out of the investigations and you walk through a lot of Edinburgh. Uh, avoiding a lot of the bars, going down alleyways. You get the impression that Albert knows the city pretty well, um, and he leads you down towards Princess Street, where it's, it's busiest, and he takes a, a left turn and a right turn um, down into Rose Street, which is a street just off of Princess Street, um, and it's got a lot of cafes, it's bars, lots of pubs, um, and it's very sort of pleasant nightlifey and as you get there it's starting to get a little bit busy and he looks around at you and says ah, so um are you are you ready do you feel ready i have to warn you like i said this could be very dangerous i'm yes i'm ready after today i think i'm ready for anything that's good to, that's good to hear and he takes you down a small um sort of gap between two buildings um, and there's a small flight of stairs there and there's a door at the top he knocks on it and as the door opens you are greeted by somebody who looks quite a lot like albert and uh he says the man says uh, albert are you late again and albert looks around and says yes i was bringing someone tonight simeon and he is peter this is my brother simeon Simeon is my brother, Peter. That's not my, that's my friend, Peter, uh, from work. Then Simeon says, well, come on, everyone's waiting. And Simeon goes into the building. Um, thank you. Uh, Albert, wait. Hey, go, um, you can... I will follow. But it, Peter just looks very confused. Um, <laughs> very, very confused. Peter is brought into what looks like a... Well, it is. It's a comfy little apartment um, above one of the cafes in Rose Street. Um, and what you walk into is a small living room um, that leads off to a kitchen on one side. And you have this sort of strange concoction of smells coming from the kitchen of clearly a lot of different foods being made. Um, and sitting around a small table, in the living room um, is Simeon, who was there, just sat back down. Um, and then a couple of other people that when they come in, they sort of look over to Albert and they say, oh, Albert, you're late again. And Albert says, yes, yes, I know. Simeon's already given me all this. Um, there's Peter, this is Patricia, and this is uh, this is Ronald and Kenneth. Um, and he looks over and he says, uh, we, pay, we play poker, um, make some food. And he sort of leans in and says, and Patricia's cooking is very dangerous, so that's why I want you to be prepared. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Thank you. Kenneth shouts off. Kenneth's a much, much older man. He said, uh, are you any good at poker, Peter? Um, in my university days, maybe. So, yes, I, I would, I'd happily give it a go. Albert pats your shoulder and he says, Kenneth's very sad about that. He's the only one that's good at poker at all of us. He always takes our money. So, um, come on, come and sit down. And he takes whatever coat you're wearing, uh, if you're wearing a coat, and you're brought over to the table. He's not. Oh, no, he is wearing it's, a coat. It's everywhere. Um, he, you are <laughs> sat down at the table. You play poker for as long as you want. Food is brought out at one point. Um, Albert warns you away from anything Patricia's made. Um, it's, it's, she does, she tries frightfully hard. Um, but it's always fairly inedible. And you have an evening. And Albert doesn't ever, in this evening, ask or expect anything from you. He doesn't ask you about the events of the day. He doesn't want you to delve into it. But at every opportunity, he takes time to listen to you if you have something to say. Even if it's just about someone clearly has a shit hand and you know how what the tell is. Or somebody's made something incredibly tasty and you have something to say about it. Um, but also Peter doesn't have anything to say, then Albert doesn't expect him to say anything. It would be very that surface level type of comment. He enjoys the escaping in the moment of being able to just do something normal. And the more I think about it, it might be the most normal night he's he's had since the war. And the night eventually draws to a close and Albert brings Peter to back to Thorn Investigations, they walk the whole length together. Um, and Albert had a few drinks there as well. I don't know if Peter would have had any drinks. Um, no. But Albert comes to the door with you and um, he's not slurred in his speech. You get the impression that he had a few drinks, but walking through September late at night <laughs> um, sobers anybody up. Um, and you, yeah, he, he says to you at, at the door, Peter, I don't expect you to tell me everything that happened in your life that led you here. And I, I would never expect that. I have seen the camps, I know the stories. I read the reports on where they found you and how they found you. But that's not who you are. I... When my... I left home as a young man, I used to live in Austria, and I came to this country because I wanted to learn, and my family supported it. 
Simeon was the only other member of my family who ever came out here. My big brother. And um, when the war started, we we lost uh, everyone. So there's only me and Simeon left. That was all. Um, and that filled me with a huge amount of anger that I struggle with every single day. But uh, for many, many months, I dreamed of vengeance and going to Germany and killing as many Germans as I could find just just to feel something, feel like I've done something. Uh, but I know it wouldn't do anything helpful. And what I began to realize was that what Simeon told me, the best vengeance I could have against people like that was to live not survive that's what they expected from us but live a life that they never expected us to have never wanted us to have so that's why I eat what I eat and put on the weight that I have Peter that's why I enjoy every day I hope one day that you feel the same. But I know that it will be a long road to get there. You do not walk it alone. Um, um, thank you. Um, thank you. Um, it, tonight felt very normal and I... I wish I could be alone. And in my own way, I think that's the problem. The monsters in more ways than one are not dead. And I wish some of them were out there. So I thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Um, I wish I could sleep alone tonight. That would be a welcome break, but I I needed that. Who knows? Maybe I maybe I won't sleep well tonight. That would be a good thing. That would be a good thing. But thank you. Well, I'm sure you'll be invited back next time, uh, despite the fact that Kenneth definitely wasn't happy and took all of our money tonight. Um. Yeah, it took a lot to kind of hold back. That was that was good. Um, but Trish's food really is it's bad. Really, really is awful. bad. We tell her every week, but she um, she just keeps bringing new things. She keeps getting new cookbooks, thinking it's the book that will help. But it's um, maybe next time I can make a maybe next time I can make a 
dish from home or something. We'll see. I like that. Could not be worse than Patricia's yeah. cooking, I'm sure. Oh, it won't be worse than Patricia's oh, cooking, but I don't know. Evangeline has odd taste in food, and I haven't really had a chance to cook for quite some time. And well, rationing and your cuisine here, cuisine here isn't particularly very varied, or it's quite hard to make flavors and food here. So I get some of the challenges oh, sometimes. I, I completely understand. I find it very hard eating the food over here. It's um, it's a real pain of my life. And he starts walking away. Like, I hate the fact that I can't eat the food here. It's terrible. Uh, I I hate eating many, many cakes and hating all of them. Um, it's it's the worst thing in the world, Peter. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and he... Uh, see you tomorrow. Um, you work your way back into the investigations and you have the evening. Whatever Peter does with the rest of this evening. Is there anything Peter this goes off to his little bed in, in a little room where some people can stay overnight. And the outside world has the most peaceful good night's sleep you could ever see. And second back, let's work. Back to when we came back to Thorn Investigations. Is there anything that Evangeline Lane Fox does turning home? So we'll go straight back into the archive to see Angus. Angus has organized many, many files since you've been away. <laughs> and he looks over at you expectantly saying, I've done a fantastic job. Uh, don't mind me saying so. Um, so how was it? How was it out in the field? So I remembered. Um, and I will take the book on waves and just like and slide it across to him. That's Tabitha brought. Thank you, my dear. It was a most riveting experience to learn all about wave swimming. Why'd you take that book with you? So you might be able to answer that question. What are you talking about? Tabitha came to collect this book for me from you. Tabitha did no such thing. She never came to me and asked. Of course she did not. Was it was it helpful at all? No, it was completely useless. No, I bet it was. It looks completely useless. Yes. Um, please send out a memo, please, reminding Mr. Anderson, um, Miss Thorne, that they are required to write their reports. Miss Vera as well? Protocol right. dictates, but I doubt it will be necessary. <laughs> right. Okay. I I understand. I understand. Uh, he yes. makes a note to send out to Yeah. Now, if you would, um, if you would be so kind, I will. I will peruse your work. I have no doubt of the finest quality. She says as she picks up her red pen. And um, but I, I it's it's been so long since I've had a good cup of tea. Oh well, I'll get on that right now. <laughs> you are such a gentleman. Um, he stands up, uh, goes out of the room, door closes behind him, and um, you are alone in your archive, and it's got that comfortable, cosy, sort of musty feel to it. Um, mm -hmm. And 
you hear the birds singing and the sort of quiet sound of a violin. You get the sense that you're not alone here. Takes a big empty her breath. She will run her hand across the file, looking around the room for a moment, catching last rays of sunshine. Put her hand instinctively to the armor that she wears around her neck, giving it a clutch. It was lovely to meet you again. Normally, the sounds fade after a while. You don't today. You look and you realize that the sounds of the, of the outside world have taken over in the room uh, so much so that you see that you have a there's a clock on the wall. It's an old thing, but it's stopped between ticks. And you get the sense that there's more behind you than there normally is. She will like her for amulets and slowly turn to see what is behind her. As she does her finger, uh, her hand instinctively just caressing the ring upon her finger. You see the lines of shelves going behind you but it's really strange at a certain point in the shelves they start to shift and the set the, the room after a certain point seems to grow foggy and as if it's uncertain as to what it wants to be and then between these two shells and um, you see that sort of um it opens up a little bit and it becomes a bit more clear and you see a small hill leading downwards grass covered the shelves have at that point morphed into trees that hang over this small that creating a dell down into a little darkness no dark natural cave that's been created by these trees and between the branches between the shadows things move and watch you expecting oh wonder down and instinctively that, that kind of that, that shimmer of magic she'll probably just start twisting a little bit around her fingers just to create just maybe like a small spherical ball of light around there as she wants to turn. You don't feel threatened at this point. You you may you you prepare yourself in this way and whatever's in here is following you as you walk. Lots of different things, lots of different feet, lots of small feet, big feet. Pause. And gentle sounds of purring all around you. As you come to the end of what this dell leads to and it's a not a throne but a 
sort of plinth created from roots and branches that all twist together and seek towards the ground. And um, upon it sits a, oh, I say sits, lounges a mangy old looking cat. As you approach, looks at you, does that long stretch that cats do, pulls itself up. Miss Lane Fox. She like tilt up her head to one side as if listening to his voice in her head. Tilt it back. What might your name be, creature? Oh, you know me, Miss Lane Fox. I'm the one that gave you those. And as she says this, you feel your amulet, amulet shake. You feel your ring shake. Where it is, you feel your dagger move. Oh. I just wanted to check in. The court is concerned about rumblings that we've been hearing. Rumblings. Hi, rumblings. You see, there is talk of movement in the dark places in the world. Do you know anything about this? I... I... Recently, as you may be aware, had a wandering with something. Of the other side of our world, Hey, don't worry. We all know, the court knows everything that goes on. We have many eyes and many places, Miss Lane Fox, as well, you know. But what I wanted to know is what you're going to do to try and stop the rumbling. Um, I Find out who's doing whatever it is they are doing. Shadows are created by piercing light, searching the darkness for something. Mm. We wish to find out what is looking that's creating this unparalleled reaching darkness into our world. Usually, unlike myself, as you would appear, perhaps it is time that it is put out. You speak in more riddles than I do, Miss Lane Fox. There's definitely a bit of cat about you. You taught me well. The call has come up, Miss Lane Fox. We have felt it. All those will have felt it. And you are lucky that we are not as nasty as some of the things that will be on the move. You have your claws. Aye, we do. As do you. Be ready to use them. And you blink, and the clock is ticking nearby. No time has passed. 
you're at your desk. A few minutes later, Angus comes in with a cup of tea. It's a very good cup of tea. And you go through files and you make yourself feel a bit better, perhaps thinking a little bit about what maybe he's put out this call. Vera. Um, what does Vera do in the evening uh, when she comes home? Um, after disembarking from the truck and getting everything sort of squared away there, um, she will take the radio unit that she used as a bludgeon into Effie's workshop and sort of plonk it down on a desk. Bloody hell, Vera. Yes. Um, yes, it took a little bit of damage, but I've actually... Is that blood on it? Uh, don't worry, it's... Um, actually, no, this bit was mine, but um, it's fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> She gets out a hammer. <laughs> I'll find some way of fixing this, I guess. Well, I don't... I'm not sure that we wanted exactly how it was before. It was a very interesting day yesterday, and I have some thoughts about how we might move things forward. Um, and I think they then have a some sort of a technical conversation as they start looking at this piece of equipment. Um, but uh, I think I'd like to shift forward to Vera getting home, home, yeah. um, and um, doing a final check in a, a mirror in the um, stairwell leading up to the apartment. Um, and putting on a little bit more concealer to try and hide the pretty wicked black eye that I think she got in the tussle. Um, and it's not really as concealed as she would like it to be before then um, opening the door to home. Um, I'm back. Betty comes around the corner very quickly um, and she... I assume Vera probably would have told Hetty that she might have been gone overnight. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't really matter because when you come in, Hetty just is all over you. And she just says, God, a night away from you is so boring. Um, and the, oh, I'm so happy you're home. Uh, I think Vera holds on for quite a long time. Just not really wanting to stop this moment. Hetty, you know, she she does that. She holds, she hugs you, and then she sort of expects the hug end. And when it doesn't, she sort of sinks into it as well. And just you stand in the corridor for a long time. She says eventually, "So, um." You look exhausted, but do you want to have a drink? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, how was your day? Oh, you know, uh, you know it's fine. Busy. Um, I don't care. <laughs> it's over. You're here. It's better. And she 
pulls you into the living room. She sits you down and she um, puts on uh, Don Rivers' album she has. Um, the album's called uh, You Are Home To Me. Um, this, just hint to everyone, is not a real album. Don Rivers does not. <laughs> I did, I did <laughs> like, Google it after the first time you mentioned it. You're Home To Me by Don Rivers. Um, and it's one of Hetty's favourite pieces of music. Um, and she says, she talks to it, explains, she knows the story, but she every time she plays it, she talks about how it was the first time she saw you, this was playing. And it's been her favourite song ever since. And you have your drinks and you stay up as late as you want to. You go to bed and it's a perfect perfect evening to an exhausting couple of days is there anything else we were doing the evening um not that evening but she would like to have possibly popped into annabelle's office um oh yeah okay earlier on just to speak about um having some sort of big group debrief the next day mm. or sometime very soon there's some stuff that needs to be hashed out as um, as you go in i think you're probably going at the same time that she's there with tabitha having her meeting um and she says that's a very good idea vera and um, perhaps tomorrow once everyone's had a rest the next morning you wake up again and um you know vera works hard she stays up late often but she uh you're probably more tired than you would have been normally and um, with all the strain of the last couple of days. So you wake up a bit later than Hetty again, um, which is not a problem because she's um, already started breakfast by the time you are up. Um, and she's in the kitchen and the windows are open and you can hear her um, sort of uh, dealing with things and making sure things are ready. Um, and as you come in, she says to you, um, oh, uh, uh, I was hoping that we'd be able to talk about something just be just before you go today. I'm, I'm making a little more breakfast than usual. Uh, sure. Yes. I've, uh, it's a little while late before I need to be, before I need to be in. Brilliant. Well, just um, have a seat. I'll bring things through in a minute. She starts, she keeps working with the kitchen. You spell things frying up and... It's a very calm, lovely moment as you smell the breakfast and you are still probably a bit achy and tired from the day before. Um, and you, uh, the the phone rings as you are in this moment. It sort of cuts through it, but it's sort of quite rudely cuts through it. Um, it. The phone is at the other end of the apartment, so it's sort of it's quite close to where you are, but not really close to the kitchen. Oh, well, if she's uh, preparing breakfast, if Hetty is busy, yeah. I would go and answer the answer the phone. Yeah. Uh, you answer the phone, and uh, Hetty says, Oh, good, you're up. Um, I'm sorry, I had to leave a little bit early today. I, I left a note by the side of the bed. Um, I hope you got it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I made uh, sandwiches in the fridge for you if, you if you want to take it to work today. And in the doorway leading to the kitchen, 
the thing that looks like Hetty stands looking at you. I did see your note, thank you. Um, I hope you have a good day. I'll see you later, okay? Okay, love you. Love you too. And I hang up the phone. The thing that looks like Hetty smiles and says in a voice that is not Hetty's. I want you to have an open mind. Very right. right. Come, let's have a word before you go off to work. Just how open is open? Well, if you promise to listen, I promise not to rip your head off. Would you like to sit? Aye. Um, and Vera will uh, go over to the sort of other side of the table uh, along its length from not Hetty, um, next to the a small sort of uh, side table with a, a drawer that she knows has a revolver in it. Um, um, not Hetty. Sit down next to it. Not Hetty sits at the other end of the table, hand goes on the table and starts drumming. Um, the fingernails that are longer than Hetty's and dirtier than Hetty's. Um, and as it looks at you, its eyes roll back, leaving nothing but the whites. And it speaks, and as it speaks, its mouth opens wider than a person's mouth should open. I come to you, Vera Bright. I mean this with no disrespect. You're the perfect combination of smart and not as threatening as those people you work with. What do you want? A call has gone up, Vera Bright. There is something bringing things out of the dark, and in the dark is where I thrive. I have not wanted to come out into your pathetic light for centuries. People do not have a name for me, and if they do, it is not one that I came up with myself. Names are human creation. You are children. And that something, someone, someone of you children has put up a call, opened a door to something, to everything. And I fear, dear Bright, I fear for you and all of your kind, because what the call is to all of us is come to dinner, everyone, for there is much to eat. I thought you said you didn't care what happened to us. No, I don't. So why are you worried? Because when some of the things in the dark come out, it sheds light on those that wish to remain in it. I do not wish to cause any pain to you, 
irreparate. Know that I can, and I will, if you cannot silence the call. And I come to you specifically, and not any one of the other ones of those who work at your pathetic little investigation service, because one, I don't trust any humans that can use magic. They pollute it. But also, one of those you work with is tainted by the same taint that created the call. All right. I don't know much about it, but I do know one thing, Vera. In any of these situations, follow the blood. It is the key that opens the door. This is your advice? It is my warning, Vera Bright. You will not see me coming next time. I will not make myself known. And when I come for you or one of your little friends, they will feel how disappointed I am. Good. I don't want to see you again. I certainly don't want to see you again in that form. Do you care for this form, Vera Bright? I don't think you spend much time in the human world. I wouldn't want to. Can you care? Do you have those that you, you care for? I used to think so, but the last time the light was shed on us, many of us would not get back to the shadows. So you see why I am here for self-preservation, Vera Bright. Well, I appreciate the warning. Would you please leave? Sat up and... As it walks out the door, calls back again in Hetty's voice. Follow the broad, Vera. It is the key that opened the door. <laughs>